This is episode 127 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on May 13th, 2022. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. Coming up, my interview with Baxter Naday, the student from the Faculty of Environment, is on a special quest. A quest? I like the sound of that. How is that for intrigue? Uh, Yeah, very intriguing. Most mysterious. New episodes of the podcast come out every week, and you can find our archive of past shows and helpful links on SoundCloud.com. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. So here we are on Friday the 13th. Are you feeling lucky, Pamela? (laughs) I'm always feeling lucky. Well, I was kind of hoping that you'd booked uh, Jason Voorhees for an interview, but I understand he's not much of a conversationalist. Hey, so long as he wears a mask. (laughs) Now, here's what's been happening. Consider this a special request to volunteer at one of the 14 convocation ceremonies that will be running from June 14th to 18th. It takes 200 volunteers to deliver one convocation ceremony. That's quite an interesting return on one's investment. And with many convocation ceremonies and alumni celebrations, the graduating students need you for their special day. Whether you're an employee or a student, there are many different roles and shifts available that provide new professional development opportunities and the chance to grow your network across campus. And the best part? Training and meals are provided. It's also a good opportunity to give back because when you think about it, this is why we're here to get our students to the point of crossing that convocation stage. There are shifts of different lengths, even a couple of hours, maybe four. There is such great energy at convocation. I love it. I have never volunteered before, though I have signed up for two shifts. I have gone to convocation many times because in my capacity as media relations manager, I'll have to go when there's media interest, say, in somebody who's receiving an honorary doctorate, for instance, Mm -hmm. and somebody wants to come and hear their speech. So I'll go and work at that. I love the energy. Everybody is so happy. Everyone is excited. Parents are proud. Everybody looks great. (laughs) And the, the regalia is just so interesting. I love looking at what everybody's wearing. Yeah, there are very interesting um, codes and color combinations with the hoods and whatnot. Everything means something. There are so many ceremonies because we have, of course, the students who are graduating this year, but also students who didn't get a convocation from 2020 and 2021. And so, you know, our students Mm. have been through a lot, and this is a big celebration of their efforts and their ability to stick to it. And I think we owe it to them to, to make this a great celebration for them. Indeed. We'll put the volunteer sign-up link in our episode show notes on SoundCloud. The School of Optometry and Vision Science hosted the Right Honorable David Johnston for a special armchair chat and book signing event on Monday, May 9th. Now, I wasn't sure that armchairs were great conversationalists either, but apparently... (laughs) (laughs) It's not a fireside chat, it was an an armchair chat. Were they in front of a fire? Who can say? So, a president emeritus of this university and Canada's former governor general, Johnson shared ideas from his new book, Trust, 20 Ways to Build a Better Country. It explores ways to strengthen our society by taking action that builds trust within our relationships, our organizations, and our communities. 
David Johnston was president and vice chancellor of the University of Waterloo from 1999 to 2010, and he served as governor general of Canada from 2010 to 2017. Last fall, he was named honorary chair for Seeing Beyond, the School of Optometry and Vision Sciences' $35 million fundraising campaign. His book is available at W Store. We'll put a link in our episode show notes. Speaking of which, W Store has been working closely with Creative Services to create a collection of vintage U Waterloo branded items. The design for these items was inspired and developed from archival records of what the university's shield used to look like in the late 1960s. With a nod to the past, this collection will focus on creating a sense of belonging and interconnectedness for the Waterloo community. Waterloo alumni, staff, and faculty who attended the institution during this period will remember and resonate with this logo from their time at Waterloo, while current students can embrace the history of the institution and take home a piece of Waterloo's past. Well, I do have a Christmas photo of me from 1982 where I am wearing a University of Waterloo sweatshirt that I just got. Well, 1982 was the university's 25th anniversary, so that was an important year. And if uh, if you didn't get a chance to pick up a piece of Waterloo gear the first time around, with this collection, you too can now celebrate a piece of Waterloo history. And speaking of history, are you ready for a little historical digression, Pamela? If so, buckle up. Ready! Okay, so let's talk about the shield. Dating back to 1961... The shield uses our official colors of gold, black, and white with double chevrons and three red lions. And this imagery is derived from the coats of arms of two historical figures connected to Waterloo Region, Lord Kitchener and the Duke of Wellington. The colors also reflect the Germanic heritage of the region. The three red lions rampant, signifying strength and courage, are a direct reference to the Duke of Wellington's coat of arms and the Battle of Waterloo, which took place in what is now part of Belgium way back in 1815. Wellington's coat of arms featured a uh, red lion rampant on a gold field, and rampant in this case refers to the position of the lion's bodies and limbs. I always want to laugh because it, it makes me think that they're running amok. Well, they kind of look like it. If you ever see, if you ever see them on the shield, right? They're all like, Rawr. And, uh, <laughs> at least that's what I think when when I because because I can't do a convincing lion roar. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. Rawr. Uh, the chevron comes from the coat of arms of famous British Field Marshal Herbert Horatio Kitchener, First Earl Kitchener. Uh, but anyhow, the black and white pattern used on the chevron is actually based on the colors of Prussia as an homage to the German heritage of our region and actually Prussia's contribution to the aforementioned Battle of Waterloo versus Napoleon. Well, thanks as ever for the history lesson, Brandon. Items in this collection will include apparel, drinkware, and stationery products, all featuring the vintage design and will be available for purchase in WSTOR gifts and apparel. That's in South Campus Hall, or you can buy it online at wstore.ca. We'll put a link in our show notes. Now, here's what's coming up. Well, after looking back 60 years into the university's past, let's look ahead to the university's future. The newly launched Waterloo at 100 initiative seeks to jumpstart a discussion that will shape the institution's next 35 years and beyond. Imagine the University of Waterloo in 2057. As long as the institution is still around to pay my pension, I can imagine quite a bit. Waterloo at 100 will explore five key futures. 
societal futures, technological futures, sustainable futures, health futures, and economic futures, and combine them with a discussion of our differentiators to shape a unique institutional vision for the future. President Goel is encouraging campus to participate in the consultation process. You can learn more about the process and the key features at the Waterloo at 100 website. We'll put that link in our show notes. Over the next year, Waterloo at 100 will hold a series of consultations and conversations. A draft paper will be shared for further input in the fall. Okay, well, now speaking of input, the next President's Forum will be held on Microsoft Teams on Thursday, May 19th at 10 a.m. The forum will discuss the work of the President's Anti-Racism Task Force, or PART, its final report, and its 88 recommendations to address racism at the university. And I'm going to take a minute to issue a friendly reminder to check out my interview with Charmaine Dean from last week. We discussed the key recommendations in the report, so please check it out. And perhaps not coincidentally, the event will include a presentation by Charmaine Dean, the Vice President Research and International and Part Executive Designate, followed by a panel discussion with members of the task force, moderated by President Goel. There will also be a Q&A session with the audience with questions that were submitted prior to the event and in real time through the live stream. We'll put the registration link in our episode show notes. I'd like to know, do people really check out our show notes? Because we certainly plug them a lot. (laughs) We sure do. There's lots of good stuff in there. I hope people do. There's all kinds of links and resources in there. That's right. Everything is just one click away on SoundCloud. And now the interview. As the song goes, if you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. Well, you might also run into Baxter Naday. He's in his final year at the School of Resources, Environment, and Sustainability, but he's taken on an extracurricular mission. He hopes to identify 1,000 plants within 50 kilometers of our campus this year. With a little more than six months to go, he tells us how it's going and about one special find. Baxter, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad to be here. Why are you on this mission to identify 1,000 different plants? I've uh, been interested in birds since I was about uh, seven or eight years old. I've always had a a basic interest in plants for many years, but not until I took a a field course uh, at at Waterloo here. I took the course thinking, oh, I I have a, a good base of knowledge on plants. Oh, this this class will be easy. And I was blown away by how much I I didn't know. And that particularly inspired me. Uh, Last year, I went on a mission, you could say, to observe 1,000 plant species in the province overall, all over Ontario. So I was all up and down, all up and down Ontario. The challenge uh, stems from a project on on, uh, iNaturalists, if anyone's familiar uh, with the Citizen Science website. There's a project on on iNaturalist, the Ontario Botanist Project. It's an annual project that's run by a botanist in the province, and he proposed this challenge for someone to see 1,000 different species of plants in a 50-kilometer radius. Anywhere the user on iNaturalist is, they could okay. make it their house. They can make it any random okay. point. Just for simplicity's sake, I made the center point the University of Waterloo. The, the north boundary is around Luther Marsh, 
The eastern boundary is around Acton. The southern boundary is just south of Brantford. And the western boundary is around Stratford. So hmm. This was, I brought this upon myself. <laughs> this is someone else's idea. I'm just uh, being a part of it uh, this year. So. You could conceivably be the only person who's mapping out 50 kilometers around the University of Waterloo, right? Or around Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, You're breaking ground here, Baxter. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> I'm not uh, aware of anybody that's uh, attempted this. So you yes. you did complete the 1,000 plants in Ontario. Yes, correct. That was last year. And? And I received a prize from the uh, botanist that runs the project that I was a part of. I submit all my observations to this project and they get verified. I was hoping for beer. <laughs> beer, beer has been one of the prizes in the past, uh, but I was very grateful to receive a $20 uh, gift card to Mountain Equipment. What are what are some of the rules? Well, you have to have a photo. Of the okay, plan. fair. For it to count. And, uh, and a copy of today's newspaper beside the plan. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping that, 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 that users are honest to, to a certain extent. And yeah. when people are not honest, they, they're often picked out in some, some way, just in, by inconsistencies in their, in their observations. Oh, people cheat. It might sound strange to you, but yeah, people cheat in bird watching in plant observing. It's, it's just like anything else. Wow. And it's interesting uh, is I can actually hear a cardinal <laughs> from yeah. outside your window and you're, you know, the you're bird correct. enthusiast. So I find that really fascinating. Yeah, good, good identification. Cheering it, you on. Very loud. I've got my window closed and you can still hear it. Another rule of the project, whatever I'm observing, cannot be planted. Uh, it shouldn't be, therefore, it shouldn't be in a garden. It shouldn't be a tree on someone's lawn. It shouldn't be a tree that the city has planted along a, a, a roadway. But there's a bit of a gray area since you've planted something and now its offspring is in the park next right. to your house. Should that be counted? It often is. I'm counting it. <laughs> At that point, it becomes an introduced species, in, in, my, in my opinion. I think that's fair. If I'm going on a, a journey to identify plants, sometimes I'm casual. Sometimes I'm just walking along the sidewalk. Hey, there's a cool plant. If I'm going on a mission, I grab a backpack, I, I'll put a, my notebook in there, I'll have a ruler with me in case I need to measure plants in the field, I'll uh, bring my camera with me, uh, as well as my iPhone. I might bring a field guide with me, uh, and this is, this is really fun. I have this little macro lens attachment for my phone. Mm camera i put that on there because sometimes features on a plant are very very small and you need to get a closer look at them how important is citizen science do you think for the overall body of knowledge i think citizen science is 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 very important to scientists and researchers alike they don't have the means they don't have the 
financial means to they're, if they're looking at a uh, endangered flower and this flower lives all over Ontario, they're not going to have the time to look everywhere. Right. They could easily open iNaturalist, for example, and hey, there's a whole bunch of observations all over the place. Oh, we don't need to go there now. The other way, not just for the, the researchers and scientists, the other way around, public citizens uh, look for cool stuff and observe things and sort of feel like you're working towards something. Beginners can get really into it too. And it feels like your observational data is counting towards something bigger. For this project, do they say that your your data is going to help with anything? I haven't heard anybody uh, specifically tell me, hey, this is going to be important. I will say that I I have found a, a few new plant species that were not had not been observed on iNaturalist in the region really already the the most most surprising thing that i've come across was a species of moss called bog haircap moss i'm not going to attempt to say the latin name <laughs> um bogs in in this uh region are, are some you know are pretty uncommon uh being in southern ontario mm-hmm. It's it's mostly forests and well paved over areas yeah. in in our area. Agricultural. Uh, the bog hair cat moss lives in a bog, and mosses are often quite difficult to identify. Uh, yeah, they have very small parts, very small leaves, little tiny hairs on the mm-hmm. on the leaves maybe, or little little tiny edges on, on the leaves, and they might. You might need a microscope even to mm. tell two mosses apart. There's a bog in the very, very south end of Waterloo County. It's maybe only a couple hundred meters from the Brant County line mm. along a road called Shouldice Side Road. How did you even find it? Like, how did you even come upon it? Were you like, I'm going to look for moss right now? Or did it just happen? It was winter. Oh, I was in an area, uh, in that area. It was really cold that day, too. It had to be almost minus 20. And I thought, well, the bog's probably going to be frozen. So I went out there, and in the summer, I wouldn't be able to access this place because it's surrounded by water. Mm. It's in in the middle of a lake. Um, Grass Lake is, is its name. So I walked out there and went to look for bog species because... As I mentioned, bogs are uncommon in this area, and it it might be difficult for me to look for bog species at other times of year. Went out there, and there were purple pitcher plants growing on the bog that I found beneath the snow. There was lots of cool mosses, and this particular one I was able to identify with wow. some with some help from field guides, of course. And what was that like? There's probably a lot of records of plants and other animals, fungi, birds, everything. There's there's lots of records that aren't on iNaturalist. It's not a comprehensive database of everything that's been found in mm-hmm. an area. However, no one has observed this species on iNaturalist in the region. And uh, iNaturalist is sort of the, the go-to for most. Huh. When they're looking for plants and our birds or 
well not birds ebird is the the go-to for birds but oh. yeah, yeah when you go to a place like a bog looking for plant species you're going to see other species you're going to see amphibians and insects and birds and fungi and whatever else so are you also making note of what you're seeing there too definitely birds were my first love so so i'm always looking for birds whenever i'm out but uh on the tree that i'm looking at there might be a cool fungi growing out on that tree and hmm. and oh look there's a snake that went across the path i'm gonna try to pick up that snake and <laughs> see what it is so yeah when i'm out and about i'm looking at everything everything and what are your observations generally broadly Last year, for example, I observed 1,000 plant species in the province. I also observed about 1,000 other species. Oh. Yeah. And you made note of them? I made note of, of all Oh, that's cool. So you started this in the winter. Not a great time for looking for plants, unless you're looking for, like, pine trees or, <laughs> like, are you, <laughs> or how to identify things that are dead. How's it going? What have you, how many have you found so far? As of May 10th, I have observed 412 species of plants in, in the circle. In my neighborhood, there is a natural area down by the Grand River, and I saw a sign for like, caution sign, giant hogweed. So I'm thinking that your project might be an opportunity for you to let people know when there are you know, noxious weeds and dangers like that, hazards that are present. Have you noticed anything like that? I have not personally observed any giant hogweed yet. I believe a lot of it is just starting to leaf out right now. Oh. Uh, so do watch out for it. Uh, I did see some signage in, in an area that I was visiting a few weeks ago, that big sign, mm -hmm. giant hogweed here. So I was cautious Uh I'll say that there are a good number of observations already of giant hogweed, for example. City to City Waterloo is looking to uh, manage giant hogweed, as I imagine they'll, they'll be doing. I don't know how they manage it. You can't weed whack it because mm, that would go horribly wrong. Yeah. They might use a citizen science-based website such as iNaturalist to uh, see on a map where where this species has popped up and say, okay, we'll hit it there. We'll hit it there. We'll hit it there. So mm -hmm. I think there would be some challenges here because it's kind of a large area, but things like wildflowers come and go trilliums come out and then they're gone. Do you go over the same areas? I will go over the same areas. However, I'll say that I have a, I have an Excel spreadsheet of all the plants that have been observed in the region, I've made notes on that on that list of what places I should target at, at certain times a year. Um, so, for example, um, there's this place called Montgomery Wildlife Sanctuary, and I have to go there this month. It's a must. Why? I gotta go. I gotta go there in, in the month of May. There will be some things flowering that will not flower at any other time of year. Like what? Uh, there's uh, one flower that I'll be looking out for possibly this week, if I can get out, called Twin Leaf. Hmm. Never heard of it. 
if you've seen Bloodroot yeah. before, it looks a lot like Bloodroot, but it has slightly, it has different leaves. Oh. How do you know that it's A, not something you counted already, and B, that you're being correct? Well, that's where uh, iNaturalist comes into play. Okay. They're and, checking everything as you submit it? They're, any user can view my observations. Okay. And they can, whether they're an amateur or an expert botanist, they can see my observations and they can let me know, hey, I think you've made a mistake here. I think uh, this is actually a different species. Mm. And if I have seen the same thing twice, well, that's okay. But that's also why I have the, the Excel spreadsheet. I'm, I'm checking them off as I go. So it's possible you're counting the same things more than once. Does that ever happen? It it has happened, and sometimes I like to count the same thing uh, more than once. So why? I just have certain species that I really like taking photos of. I guess so. I have four different observ- observations of bitternut hickory. It's a tree. Well, if you're, yeah, if you're, it's a tree, a hickory tree. Uh, the hickory trees that people might mm, see most often is called shagbark hickory mm-hmm. and it has very shaggy bark like shag carpeting you know oh. uh, <laughs> um it, it, yeah it's peel it's it looks as if it's peeling off the tree okay they peel uh laterally straight up and down yeah oh bizarre that's probably what you'll say is wow what a bizarre looking tree this is the shag bark hickory the bitternut hickory is is related but doesn't have that shag bark it just i don't know what i like about the tree it grows very straight up and down yeah rarely do i ever see one that's crooked or curved or anything it's just a big tall straight tree they're pretty i like them (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking though that so even if you've counted it already but you're you're uploading it Anyway, and knowing you've already got it, it's not going to add to your count. You're still increasing the knowledge of what's growing in a specific area. Yes, uh, yes, I am. Often they haven't been recorded in in whatever area that I've uh, observed them. I have to look this up. Bitter nut hickory. Oh, oh, that is a nice tree. I I don't know that I've ever <laughs> seen one. If I've seen one, I don't think I've noticed it. Baxter, you're opening my eyes. <laughs> that's uh, that's a part of this uh, mission, this challenge. I'm I'm here to teach my friends and people that I meet things that they might not know before, and I'm I'm here to learn things that I I didn't know before either. So now you said I read somewhere that you said you were meeting people doing this. Can you explain that? That's that's a part of uh, part of the goal. I. My goal is to meet new people this year in in the in the region. I've been I was contacted uh, by someone who was associated with the University of Waterloo, and they've invited me out to look at some properties of their of their friends in in, in rural Waterloo. So I'm hoping to meet him uh, in the next couple of days. That's someone who I didn't know before. Uh, I've joined up with the field botanists of Ontario, uh, and I'm hoping to go on some of their trips this year. So You're also getting to be outside in nature. 
as well, uh, since I am an environment student, since I'm furthering, furthering my knowledge of nature by getting myself outside as much as possible and, and studying, studying these plants and studying, well, the other stuff I'm seeing outside on a, on a, on a more academic, uh, level, I fully expect that I'll be doing something like this in my career post-university. I could work for a consulting company. I could work for the Canadian Wildlife Service. They might expect me to know know what's out there. They might send me to an area and go, hey, tell us what's in this woodlot. There might be something at risk growing there that uh, can't be, the site can't be developed then. So south of Waterloo is is where the Carolinian region begins to dominate uh, the, the the forests and the, the ecosystems. Oh. And in the Carolinian zone of, of Canada, there it's it's a very small, very small area in southern Ontario is Carolinian forest. That's it. That's the only part of Canada that's Carolinian uh, zone. So there's many species growing in in that area and if you think about southern ontario what else is in southern ontario a lot of people a lot of agriculture so those species that that are living in the carolinian area that can only live in some of them can only live in the carolinian zone of course this carolinian zone carries over to the united states Mm -hmm. but some of these species that's the only place they live in canada what do you think your chances are it it will be a challenge i think to actually reach that thousand and i was hoping to get to a thousand by september that's very optimistic but if i don't if i don't if i'm not near 1000 by the end of september those last three months of the year are it's going to be very hard to find new things in 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 october november and december so well if anyone listening wants to Send Baxter any suggestions. They can email bulletin at uwaterloo.ca and we'll forward it on. If anybody is interested, I'm happy to have people come along with me. I'm happy to have people give me suggestions. And part of my goal is to meet new people. So, Well, you're going to come to the woodlot behind my house, I hope. I sure am. All right. We're going to have to make a plan. I bet I'll find something in there that you never seen before i want to learn so i'm excited to learn from you thank you so much and thank you for being here baxter it was really a pleasure getting to know you and speaking to you it was uh, my pleasure being here well that about wraps it up for us this week to ensure you don't miss an episode please subscribe to the beyond the bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and waterloo alumni Please follow us on Twitter at UW Daily Bulletin. You can also find select interviews on the university's YouTube channel. Just look for the Beyond the Bulletin playlist there. Stay safe, everybody, and please wear a mask. You can reach us by email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. I have fond memories of my own convocation, the... uh... The 20th anniversary of which is actually coming up in June. Wow. Happy and anniversary. My, well, thank you. And my daughter, who was brand new, was at the, uh, at the time, was at the convocation ceremony. And there's a picture of me and her. And she's very small. She's about to celebrate her 20th birthday in a couple of weeks. 
How great. See, so many special moments at convocation and fond memories. So everybody, oh, for sure. I'm yeah, not going to shut up about this. Please volunteer. 